0: Thanks, guys, for doing that. My heart burns for Jesus. How about yours? I mean, when I think about His sacrifice, it's just overwhelming sometimes, you know? My heart burns. It burns. It longs for You, Lord. longs to know You and to see You in a greater way. Thank You, God. Well, I'm just glad to be here this morning. You know, uh, Sarah and I went to see... Hotel Rwanda on Friday night and uh, we left the movie theater and I just said to her I'm just glad that we're here you know I'm just glad that we were blessed enough by God to be born in a country such as this and that we're walking around going and doing stuff like going to movies or just being at church (laughs) you know in 1994 about a million people were slaughtered In that country of Rwanda, a massive genocide not too long ago. You know that's what the movie is all about. But um, it just makes you so thankful. You know, not only just thankful for stuff that you have, but just that you're here. You know, and um, I want to talk about the God of history this morning, because when we look about at God and we think about who He is, we really see that He's an author. You know, that he is writing a story. And um, and so I, I prepared this nice PowerPoint presentation everything for you this morning. And then when I got here, mysteriously, it wasn't on my computer. So, <laughs> you know, you'll be all right. So we'll just do it the old-fashioned way. So you'll actually have to look your verses up in your Bible and stuff like that. Imagine that. I don't know, as painful as that may be, but... Uh, But God is a God of history and, um, you know, He refers to Himself as the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, right? That's how He refers to Himself. And so in that we can see these things. Now, you know, the the whole Christian worldview is based around history. If it wasn't for history and the importance of that, the Christian worldview would be not nearly as significant as it is. I mean, after all, our whole calendar, Christian or non-Christian, is around before Christ, right? The advent of Christ. And then we live in the era, in the year of our Lord, or A.D. Now, did you realize that um, in today's secular educational institutions, they're now teaching that it's not B.C., but it's B.C.E., that's what it's really is supposed to be. You guys didn't know that? It's supposed to be before the common era. So it's no longer before Christ. Just take him completely out of the picture. It's before the common era. <laughs> I thought that was interesting. I, um, Shannon McCarron was telling me, and, and Tara were saying that in their classes at Mitchell, that's what they've been instructed in Western civilization and stuff. And, um, so, But nonetheless... They can say that, but the calendar is still dated the same. The calendar is still dated around the advent of Christ. Um, And I think it's just all important that we ask ourselves, what time in history are we living in right now? What time is this? I mean, besides the year or the date on the calendar or the particular day of February in 2005, what is this era, Lord? What day do we live in? And we could have a variety of opinions about that. You know, Paul always said that it was the last days in the New Testament. In reality, it wasn't, but he said it continually. We hear all the time, it's the last days. Well, I believe that. The last days could be a long time or it could be a very, very short time. We just don't know that. But whatever the case is, I believe that these days are days that call for an extreme faith. You know, I believe God's calling us as a people to be extreme in our faith. And I believe that one reflection of that we have is just in our generation of young people and old people alike. But, you know, particularly one example of that is that extreme sports are are very popular these days. You know what extreme sports are, right? Like, it's not really a sport unless there's a, a serious possibility of you dying with it okay those are extreme sports you know not not necessarily but it is could be but um you know espn has its whole olympic games called the x games you know extreme games and well i just want to share with you just um something that the lord's been speaking to me about before i really get into the crux of my message but uh, a a couple of weeks ago we watched um with the youth group who watched the Passion of the Christ movie. And um, I watched it for the second time, you know, after that first time that we watched it in the theater together when it came out. And uh, to my surprise, it impacted me even more, I think, the second time that I saw the extreme measure that my Lord, my Jesus, was willing to go through for me. You know, to see the brutal torture. And excruciating pain and suffering that he went through, and the execution that was just unimaginable. And the thought that continually went through my head as I watched the movie was, Oh Lord, you know, if you could do that for me, what do I possibly have to give to you? I mean, you know, I was talking with some high school kids about this the other night, or some middle school kids. You know, I said, I don't think the Lord. Necessarily expects for us to go through the exact same thing. But Lord, if there's just any little part that I can give to You, I would willingly do it. I will, would willingly lay down my life. And then I thought, or would I? Would I really? In other words, when I look at my life and what I'm doing, am I doing everything that I can to lay it all on the line? to lay my life on the altar as a sacrifice and say, Lord, you know what? I will say anything. I will do anything. I will go anywhere. I will be a fool if that's what it requires for you. If that's what you're telling me to do, I will do it and I will take great risk and it will take great courage and I'll be in trouble probably because I I probably won't know how to do it or I won't know where to do it or I won't know what to say. But Lord, I will do it for you. How many people have ever had that in your heart before? Let the Lord stir that back within you. I believe it's that passion. That's the name of the, the movie, The Passion. I believe it's that passion that the Lord wants to stir in our hearts that, Lord, we'll do anything. You know, I will pray for a stranger at the risk of looking like an idiot. You know, or I'll talk to my neighbor at the, case of the, at the risk of looking like an idiot. Or I'll do whatever. I admire people who have gone to great risk you know for the sake of their faith one of those is my own father and my, my parents when I was seven years old my dad was a successful dentist in uh, Jackson, Missouri Had a, he was a partner with another guy had a, his own office and um, you know we were pretty well off as would be the case as a family and just living the American dream you know which, you know, that's everyone's. everyone being, generally speaking, everyone's view of being an American, is living the American dream. And the Lord spoke to my father and said, you're to sell your business, you're to sell your practice, pick up your family and move. Okay, where to? Chapel Hill, North Carolina. So, you know, I remember that being a little kid and my parents coming in and telling us, we're moving. What? We're moving. We can't move, you know, and crying and begging them, let's don't move, and all this stuff. We didn't know anybody in North Carolina. We didn't really have any connections, but the church they were connected with wanted to plan a ministry on the college campus in Chapel Hill. So that's what they felt like they should do. So they went to the extreme measure against all conventional wisdom and advice of their parents. I think my grandparents to this day probably have some feelings about this move that they made, but they did it. It's just like Abraham told God, uh, I'm sorry, God told Abraham to pick up and move and it says he didn't really know where he was going. But God said move. So I admire that about my parents that they had the courage to do that. Um, I probably don't tell her this enough, but as I was pondering this particular thing, I really invite, admire my mother in law, Janet, you know, because she had the courage to start a school. <laughs> and uh, I was telling some people this morning that every big church in town has a preschool. I mean, you know, if you want to get your kids in preschool, every big denominational church I've noticed has preschools, and that's pretty easy to do, but there's no Christian schools in this area, at least in Mooresville. And do you know why that is? Because it ain't easy. It's a very, very, very difficult thing to do. But God spoke to Janet and said, start a school. And she said, I'm just speaking what I can imagine, she said to the Lord, um, okay, God, but you know, I, don't, I can't really do this. And God said, well, that's okay. It's not about you anyway, so go ahead and do it. And she did. And it was 15 kids, and now it's what, 115? 120. 120 students in six years in. So who knows what God has in store for that. But that's extreme faith. You know, for Christina to go off and live in China, that's extreme. You know, that goes against all conventional wisdom to just move there by yourself and kind of try to figure out what to do. You know? So Christina, just be encouraged that even though maybe you sit over there and say, what am I doing? If you know God called you, He's got you there for a purpose. The fall is sell everything and move to another country. That's pretty bold, you know? For Byron and Becky to give up the comforts of life in Pineville to move up a large salary as, a, as an engineer and move to Mooresville, North Carolina to pastor 20 people. I mean, why would you do that? You know, I mean, I could go around the room. There's tons of people like that. Andy and Amy moved here from California not knowing what in the world they were supposed to do out here. I'm sure that wasn't exactly, if you looked at it on paper, the smartest thing to do in the world. <laughs> so it's just... So this is... I'm just sharing with you my heart. This is my conversation with the Lord. God, I know I've done some of those things. I've taken some risks. But God, I'll do anything. What, you know, what would you have me to do? You know, and it can be simple things, it can be little things, and it can be big things. I don't want to read into that. I don't want to tell you that you have to move to outer boogie doogie, you know, and preach the gospel to the, you know, whatever <laughs> primitive tribe. Now, Tim and Paula can do that, but, you know, <laughs> that, that's another example. The Ulrichs have lived extreme faith. But um, I'm, I'm excited, though, because I feel like these are days when God is going to give us the courage. To do these things, I feel like there's certain battle fronts that we're on right now, like Mooresville Christian Academy and the Lee Park neighborhood, and some of these other things. And what I'm asking, and what our leaderships ask in the church, is Lord, where else do we need to be involved? What other front should we open up, so to speak? Where does the gospel need to be preached in our community that we could get involved? Or where can we serve the poor and the needy and help people like you would? Those are the questions that we we need to be asking. Well, um, so let's look at uh, Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. And I just want to pray for a second. Lord, we just ask You to speak to our hearts this morning. God, I just acknowledge I don't have much to say, but You've got a lot to speak. Lord, so I just pray that You'd just um, anoint this message. Lord, let Your heart be conveyed in a real and an impacting and a lasting way to bear much fruit in our lives. God, we just expect great things from You. In Jesus' name, Amen. Romans 8, verse 28. It says, And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love Him, who have been called according to His purpose. For those God foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the likeness of His Son, that He might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those He predestined, He also called. Those He called, He also justified. Those He justified, He also glorified. What then shall we say in response to this? If God is for us, who can be against us? Pretty familiar passage to most Christians, but do you know what Paul's referring to here? What is Romans 8:28 through 31? What is he what is he speaking of? What is he referring to? He's referring to the beginning. Probably among other things he may be implied. but he's referring to the book of Genesis here also. And the book of Genesis is a fascinating thing to me because you know, obviously we know that it's it's a history book. It's the book of history which as I've already said, is incredibly important to to God. And it reveals... The book of Genesis, among other things, reveals three important truths to us that we can see there. Number one, it answers the question, what is God like? Number two, it answers the question, what am I like? Who am I? And number three it answers the question, how does God relate to me? Okay, so what is God like? What am I like? And how are we connected? That's what the book of Genesis lays out and it's a beautiful picture. So the history of the world and our lives from God's perspective is laid out in the book of Genesis as indicates in Romans 8.28 that we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love Him. He talks about being foreknown, being predestined. He talks about being the firstborn among many brothers. So he talks about if if God's for me, who can be against me? You know, and that's what we see in Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Now let me say this also: God identifies Himself as the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the same way He identifies Himself as the God of Steve. My father, Matthew and Judah. Okay, my son or any of my sons, for that matter. He identifies himself as the God of Chuck, Nathan and Michael. You know, he identifies. You just put your names in there. Okay, God is not limiting Himself to this; these three guys alone. I believe that He identifies Himself with His people across the generations, because He is a God of the generations. You know that's what's so beautiful about Genesis also. Now listen to this. All of these verse all of these references that I'm gonna read have this phrase The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Exodus three six, Exodus three fifteen, Exodus three sixteen, Exodus four five, Matthew twenty two thirty two, Mark twelve twenty six, Luke twenty thirty seven, Acts three thirteen, Acts seven thirty two. That's a lot of verses in which people ask the question, like Moses. Well, God, you know, Lord, when I go to these people and tell them that You sent me, who should I say that You are? He said, tell them that I'm the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Isn't that a beautiful picture? So first of all, this is really neat. I, I really love this. What is God like and how can we see a picture of Him in the, that name? Okay, and I have to say that I borrowed this from A. W. Pink, who was a theologian of the a British theologian of the last century, um, the early 1900s, I think. But um, this is great. The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob reveals the triune nature of God as one God in three forms. Let's look closely at this. God the Father. Okay, who was Abraham? He was known as a father of many nations. Right? That's what Genesis seventeen five through six says. It says, No longer shall your name be Abram, but you your name shall be Abraham, for I have made you a father of many nations. Now, the second part of God is God the Son, right? Who was Isaac? Isaac was the son of the promise. Is that not correct? Genesis fifteen four. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, saying, This one shall not be your heir, but one who will come from your own body shall be your heir. That's where God was promising Abraham that he would give him a son. So Isaac is reveals the son aspect of the triune God. And then the third part being God the Holy Spirit, right? God the Holy Spirit is uh, revealed in Jacob, who was uh, his name was changed to Israel, which represents the struggle between the flesh and the spirit, illustrating the work of the Holy Spirit in the believer. Now each one of these three, I could break up for a whole you know message for each one of them, so i don 't have time to do that, but if you really study the life of Jacob, he was what you call a self made man he you know he did everything. He worked for it. He labored. He got it. He did it. Until one day, he wrestled with God. And God showed Jacob basically that, you know what? It's not all about you. It's about me. And you need to learn to trust in my provision, in my abilities, and all of these things. So this is one of the the pictures that we can get from the story of Jacob is this rustle between the Spirit and the flesh. You remember in Romans, uh, Paul talks about this. That, you know, what I want to do, I don't do. And then what I do, I don't want to do. You know, that, that, there's a whole passage there where there's a lot of do's and it's kind of confusing, but basically he's saying, you know, with inside of me, there's this, the Spirit of God living, but there's also this flesh that I'm battling. There's a struggle between them. And that's where Jesus said that He sent the Helper to help us in this struggle. And that's where the the picture of the Holy Spirit is seen in Jacob. Isn't that cool? That God would reveal Himself just in these biographies as a picture of part of, of how He is made up. You know? Now, how does the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob reveal what I'm like or what you're like? The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob reveals the divine order from our election as children of God to our inheritance as sons and daughters of God. Now, to illustrate this, I want to read a um, quote from this guy that I mentioned, A.W. Pink. And I, I apologize, I don't have this on the screen for you, but he says this, It is intensely interesting to mark... How each of the patriarchs foreshadowed some distinct truth in the believer. In Abraham, we see the truth of divine sovereignty and the life of faith. In Isaac, divine sonship and the life of submission. In Jacob, divine grace and the life of conflict. In Abraham, election. In Isaac, the new birth. In Jacob, the manifestation of the two natures. Thus, we find the order of these Old Testament biographies foreshadowed accurately what is now fully revealed in the New Testament. So that's why I was saying that Paul is really rev- is, is speaking of, or I'm sorry, speaking in Romans 8.28, he's referring back to the Old Testament. What a beautiful picture God gave us. Again, we may remark further that typically Jacob is the servant. This is ever the divine order. Abraham, the chosen object of God's sovereign purpose, necessarily comes first. Then Isaac, the son, born supernaturally, the heir of the father's house, followed by Jacob, the servant. It is needful... This is interesting. Listen to this. It's needful to call special attention to this order today, though we cannot here enlarge upon it. Man would place sonship at the end of a long life of service. But God places it at the beginning. Man says, serve God in order to become His son. But God says, you must first be my son in order to serve me acceptably. Isn't that awesome? So... Let's say, for example, you're in here this morning and you don't know God. A.W. Pink said it perfectly. Don't think that you have to serve God and then become His son. God says, become my son and then I'll enable you to serve me. You know? Isn't that what the sovereign election of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob was all about? Listen, they didn't deserve it. Abraham was a fallen, sinful man. He did a lot of things wrong. Isaac may have been even worse. And Jacob certainly had his share of screw-ups. But God said, My grace has chosen you. I've chosen you. And I would say to you that if you're sitting in this room this morning, you can be assured. You've been chosen by God. He is more than willing to freely give grace to all who will receive it. You know, for the believer, for the unbeliever, for the believer who has strayed. God's grace is in abundance this morning. And is every day. I sure am glad of that. You know, I was thinking before the service, or during the worship, that, gosh, Lord, my computer's not working right. I felt so frazzled when I walked in here this morning. I went to write down some thoughts during worship, and my pen broke. I mean, you know, just you know how you'd have those days. But the Lord was like, "Well, there you go. There's an illustration for your message." <laughs> that even though when things aren't going right, God still chose me. Cuz I don't deserve to be here. I don't deserve to be talking to you this morning. I've made so many mistakes. I, I, I just It's almost comical to me that no matter how hard I've tried to mess up my life, God won't let me. You know? You think that God gave us free choice. And that's true. But for some reason, it's like, I'll choose wrong and He'll still make me do right. You know, it's like, it's weird how life does that to you. And you know, I'm sure everybody's had the experience of things not working out as you planned. Well, you know, didn't plan for my kids to do that, or didn't plan for my marriage to be like this, or didn't expect for this to happen or that to happen. Well, God's saying in Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, welcome to the crowd. This is life. But I'm sovereign. I chose you. Therefore, you can rejoice that you're my son and you're my daughter. Amen? Number three, wrapping it up, how does God relate to me? The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob reveals our progress on the journey that we call the Christian walk, as well as the strengths and weaknesses that we all possess as Christians. And again... Let me just take a minute here to expand on these three guys. As I said, each one of these could be a whole message in itself, so I'll just quickly run through some of them. If you're a new Christian like Abraham, you've recently been chosen by God's divine sovereignty. You may possess tremendous faith as a Christian, or you may consider yourself pretty faithless. In both of these, you can learn from the life and example of Abraham. Praise God. If you've got no faith this morning or very little faith, Abraham was just like you. Do you know, he went down to Egypt to escape the famine, and what did he do? He said, Wife, you sure are pretty, so please tell these guys that you're my sister or else they're going to kill me. <laughs> what? We think of Abraham as the great man of faith and power. He was the, the, you know, the chosen one, the father of many nations. Well, in this case, he had no faith because he, I mean, he just lied to everybody and it brought a world of hurt on the Egyptians because he did that, but they got it all straightened out. And then, of course, there's the famous example of his faithlessness in taking Hagar as his wife. You know, when God told him, trust me and I'll give you a son, he went to his flesh and said, well... I guess what god was really saying is you know you know the story behind that so take heart if you're faithless abraham's right there with you And of course if god's given you great faith and you've been able to exercise that we all know of the faith of abraham and and laying isaac on the altar his only son in his old age she was willing to sacrifice him if the lord told him to and There's many other examples of Abraham's faith, leaving his land like I mentioned earlier and going someplace he didn't know where he was going. God's speaking to you about your destiny in Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. So listen. Listen to what he's saying. You might be called to go to a place where you don't know yet. Who knows? You may be asked right now to sacrifice your Isaac, so to speak something that's above God, something that has maybe even been a blessing to God, maybe God's saying, you know what? I want you to lay it on the altar. If you relate with Abraham in any way, be assured God relates with you. He's been through this before. He understands where you're at and He'll help you if you'll trust Him. There's not anything. I'm a firm believer there's not any surprises with God. Nothing sneaks up on him. Okay? Now with Isaac, so with you, this is the exciting part, all the wealth of your father's house is yours. All the wealth. All the blessings that God has. He said, these are yours, my child. I want to bless you with these. Now Isaac, he unstopped the wells of his father, which the Philistines had stopped up which is interesting, kind of foreshadows, you know, I mentioned the eyes that Isaac kind of represents the sun. It foreshadows that Jesus unstopped the wells of living water that were springing up if it weren't for the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the religious folk of the day. And Jesus came in and said, nope, we're going to unstop these wells, you know, to heal the brokenhearted. So Isaac did that. However, Isaac really didn't dig any wells himself. In a time of famine, like his father, he attempted to flee to Egypt. And also like his father, he lied about his wife being his wife and said it was his sister in Gerar, wherever that is, somewhere around there. So even though they were men really of totally different personalities, the weaknesses of the father were passed on to the son. You know, maybe we can learn something from that. Oh me, everybody says. <laughs> so, you know, like Isaac, in times of uh, temptation or weakness, are you, or in times of need, are you tempted to go to the hands of men or to yourself, or are you going to the hand of God? At the time to bless his sons, Isaac was more concerned with the taste of food or acting in the flesh Than he was with the will of God. So, is this our tendency to be more concerned with the things of the flesh or the will of God? And we know that at least towards the end of his life, Isaac was blind. So, uh, you know, do we walk around in a spiritual fog most of the time? Are we blind to what God's doing in our lives or around us? John Eldridge in the, in the book, Waking the Dead, he talks about this topic extensively and, and begins the book by saying that he believes that only about maybe 10 or 20% of the time can he really see clearly in his life. So I just ask God, God, open our eyes that we can see You, that we wouldn't be blind to Your ways and Your things in our life. Another interesting thing about Isaac, by the way, just as a little footnote, is if you notice in the book of Genesis, there are, oh, I don't know exactly, 15 or more chapters on Abraham. Well, that might not be right. There's a lot more chapters on these other guys than there are are on Isaac. There's really only one chapter that really talks about Isaac and his life in detail. Now, Jacob, while he had a servant's heart, he went and served and served and served for his wife. He lacked trust in God, as I already mentioned. And again, you know, if you are what they call a self made man, you know, you can relate with Jacob. Um, and ask yourself have you ever wrestled with God? <laughs> have you ever wrestled with God? You can relate with Jacob. <laughs> Do you find yourself in a constant state of brokenness? <laughs> you can relate with Jacob. Like Paul, do you find a constant war going on in your body between the flesh and the spirit? You can definitely relate with Jacob. So God understands you again. I can't say that enough. He, he knows your weaknesses. Nevertheless, He's still chosen you. He doesn't look at you and say, well, so-and-so, I mean, I've mean, i got a great destiny on their life, but look what they're doing. He doesn't look at you that way. He says, I have chosen you from the very foundations of the world. While yet in your mother's womb, I had all the hairs on your head numbered. I know you're, you're lying down and you're rising up. I know the words that you're going to say before you even speak them. That's pretty intimately that the Father knows us, isn't it? So not because we're good or deserving, but because He loves us. So I want to just close there and just... um, You know, then you can go on and think about Joseph. And uh, where does he fit in? You know, because really I like to think of God as the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and Joseph. Joseph. Because Joseph is a picture of the heir of the promise, just like I am. Joseph was Jacob's son, and Isaac's grandson, and Abraham's great-grandson. And we, as part of this family, are just continued down the line. We're grandsons and great-great-great-great-great-great-grandsons, just like Joseph was. You know, and so really study this, the life of Joseph because I think what, he, what it provides for us is an understanding of our own lives as sons of the patriarchs and heirs of the promise. It helps you to understand why bad things happen to good people. You know, which everyone asks that question at some point in their life. Why is this happening to me? You know, I'm a good person. That's what Joseph provides. So... That'll be expounded another time, I guess, but I will say that in romans eight twenty eight you probably know this that Paul is quoting from Genesis chapter fifty, where you know at the end or not the end, but at a certain point in joseph's life where he had been sold into slavery by his brothers and mistreated and falsely accused, and you know all these things, and suffered incredibly, God brought him out of that. And then his brothers were afraid that he was going to kill them because of what they had done to him many years before. And he said, "Guys, don't worry about that because you know what? Lucky for you, I've had a revelation." <laughs> and the revelation in so many words is exactly Romans 8:28, and he said to him, "Brothers, you know, I know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him." who have been called according to to his purpose for those for me that he foreknew he also predestined and those he predestined he called and those he called he justified and those he justified he glorified so what then shall i say in response to what you did to me if god is for me who can be against me amen so just take this challenge this morning Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Which of the patriarchs do you relate with right now? Ask yourself that question. What is God trying to show me? So just take this as a homework assignment this week. Okay, if you remember nothing else from this message, ask God that one question. Of God, what are you trying to show me about my life in these guys in the book of Genesis Take time this week to ponder this question and listen to what the Holy Spirit might have to reveal to you. Amen? Well, Father, we thank You for Your grace. I thank You that You've chosen me, God. When I didn't deserve it, God, You still chose me. And still when I don't deserve it, You still still choose me time and time again. You are such a faithful God, Lord, even when we are faithless. And Lord, I pray right now, Lord, I just ask You, Holy Spirit, to reveal to our hearts what You want to say to us about these men and our lives and how You are relating to us. Father, I pray that You would open the eyes of our understanding and our ears to hear what the Spirit is saying. And Lord, that this will... um, Just be lasting fruit in our lives if we can hear it. God, we just thank You and praise You for all the prayers that You've answered. I thank You for healing Pat Van Haneken, Lord. Um, And just many others, Lord, You've healed recently. And God, I just thank You and praise You and ask You to um, just continue to remind us of the days that we live in and the passion that You have for us that we have that same passion for You. Just thank You and praise You. And everybody said... Amen! Amen. Okay, as we dismiss, I just want to ask um, any people with the ministry team to come on up here. Uh, They're just going to be standing over here in this corner. Um, And before you walk out the door this morning, if, if you're sick in your body or maybe you're sick emotionally or something, and you would like God to just touch you through somebody just praying a prayer of faith for you, I just ask you to come up here before you leave and ask one of these ladies or, or others who will be over here to pray with you and see God touch you in a powerful way because we're hearing testimonies and He's doing that. So, be blessed. Have a good week.